Let's go back to the time when a different pandemic hit the world, the Spanish influenza. Everyone has a story. I'm your host, Chris McClellan. Welcome to The Time When, a podcast exploring the lives of everyday people. Now is the perfect time to hit pause and subscribe to the show and leave us a review. For additional information pertaining to each episode and to find out our monthly book club choice, visit our website, thetimewin.net. Hello, everybody. Today's guest is a retired English middle school teacher and the 2019 Moonbeam Children's Book Award Silver Medalist for her book, Pharmacy Girl. It is author Kate Zegda. Hello. It's nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. Oh, yes. Thank you for being here. Your book, Pharmacy Girl, is about the Spanish flu, but was written before the coronavirus outbreak. What was your inspiration for the book? Well, primarily um, my mother. Um, I'm sure you have uh, parents and grandparents who are always telling you about what happened when they were young. Mm. And my mother was no different. In fact, <laughs> the whole family were, were really kind of history uh, fanatics. So we would get the history of this and the history of that. Mm. But my mother um, survived Spanish influenza. She was only four years old when she got it. And she mm. would tell me about it. And what was fascinating was my grandfather owned a drugstore. Wow. And in those days, uh, the, a pharmacist was in many ways a first responder. People would come to him for, uh, what am I going to do about this cold Joe? And they would call him Doc and stuff. So my mom would tell me all about this connection with the pharmacy. And I started to wonder how come the family survived? Because yeah. a number of people did have this influenza, and apparently my grandfather never got it. So I was wondering, what's going on? Because a pharmacy could be a journey place yeah. with sick people coming in or people who are about to become sick. Mm -hmm. So that kind of sparked my interest. And the other thing that she used to tell me about, and this is this is this would kind of creep me out. <laughs> she would tell me that well, there weren't enough coffins. Wow. Which might make you, it's kind of startling, but <laughs> so many people died so quickly. They couldn't keep up with the coffins. Wow. And this was definitely true in Philadelphia, but it was true everywhere. And when I started doing my research, I discovered even in New Brunswick and mm -hmm. that area, um, the grave diggers could not keep up. They had to bring in prisoners from the county prison to dig the graves. Really? And had, yes, and they had uh, coffins were stacked up outside of St. Peter's Cemetery in New Brunswick. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily a lot, but still just couldn't keep up. So that whole business about the coffins kind of grabbed that. The, the middle schooler in me who likes, oh, <laughs> 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 How, you talked about your research. Like, how were you able to research about about your family to write the book? Well, um, luckily, the family, uh, especially my mother's side of the family, they were very big on family history. Hmm. And we had uh, tons of photographs uh, that uh, my aunt shared with me. Uh, my mother already had some of them. 
but apparently in 1918, and my grandfather loved taking pictures with this blue back camera. So we have all these pictures of Highland Park and so forth. So family photos were really um, a, um, they were, they were an interesting resource and an inspiration for, for what was life like then. Mm-hmm. And the other other little bit of family uh, business, um, and maybe you've seen them, there's these um, books that you buy in gift shop, shops called Images of America. And mm-hmm. they're just photo journal uh, histories of towns that you might visit. And uh, my aunt um, actually uh, donated many photographs to the Highland Park version of the book. Mm -hmm. So I would go back to the book and I would see pictures of my mother in school or uh, pictures of my grandfather in his drugstore. So that book was particularly inspirational Mm -hmm. as as well as helpful. So that's the family part of it. Um, if If I can, I'll just tell you that one of the stories in the book uh, is about a parade and a fire a fire horse that takes off with the fire engine hmm. and um, that actually happened uh, to my grandfather the, wow. the fire engine took off and he was trying to catch on to the back and didn't make it <laughs> so he got dragged a little ways and wrecked up his knees but all was well but that was the story my brother told me so that was another source uh, my brother remembered things. He's, he's quite a bit older than I am. He remembered <laughs> random things. And the best story he remembered, because my mother certainly didn't tell me this story, was um, my grandfather kept a revolver in his drugstore. Wow. Uh, as, you know, back in the day, you could imagine. Mm-hmm. And apparently, when my mother was very little, she opened the drawer where the gun was and picked it up and started waving it around the drugstore. <laughs> True story. <laughs> so uh, that became a little episode in the book and became one of the themes uh, going through the book about a gun. Uh, I yeah. love how you uh, tied in like the real history into, into the book. Yeah, so that, that part was very fun. Mm-hmm. Is that correct very fun i don't know but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, i do now, you talked about the uh, importance of the of the family photos that's something i i kind of worry about now is you know most of the photos we we take we, we kind of keep you know like saved on our phones or something like that and i kind of wonder you know in the future future generations will they be able to you know see those photos what will happen to them that's that's true i i actually when i was Early on in my research, when I had a lot of the photos and I uh, uploaded them to my computer, I, uh, this tells you how long ago it was, <laughs> I downloaded those photos to a CD and I, <laughs> I gave it to um, all the pertinent family members so they mm-hmm. have that. But guess what? There, what? No one, I can't use those CDs anymore. I'm going to have to redo that on a thumb drive. Yeah, I yeah, I know. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know how technology changes. Like, you know, will the technology we have now for the photos, will it be something, you know, different? You know, you made me think of something. I have to do that. <laughs> so it's, it's the job of the of the um older members of the family to make sure those pictures get passed down to 
the younger members and yes. find that one family member who really loves history. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, my whole family is like that. We're <laughs> crazy for that. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I, I think that's important to you know make sure you pass down your your family your family history. How how were you able to research the the history aspect of the book, the Spanish flu? Well, um, I started America's Forgotten Pandemic. Oh, okay, yes. It's by Alfred Crosby, and if this is where I started, and this is a really, if you really want to study about Spanish influenza, that's a great book. And then a couple of years later, there was another book by John Barry. So I started with these two books to get the basics of not only the basics about influenza, but a great amount of little anecdotal detail. And, and I love all those details. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was one way. And in addition to the family lore and my, my family remembering things, remembering stories, Another resource I used, and it was incredibly fun, uh, was I used newspapers from that time period. Hmm. And I would, I would go up to New Brunswick, and I would go to the library there, mm-hmm. and they had not digitized the Daily Home News, which was <laughs> a local paper. So I don't know if you remember the microfiche where you mm-hmm. would have the um, film, and you'd have to advance it, and then you could take a picture. and, and Yes. So I did that and I found some really interesting articles and I was able to uh, kind of pace out what was happening in the story based on what was happening in real life at at that time. One of the little tidbits that I found was a tiny little article, it was like maybe an inch Mm -hmm. in a column and um, the Red Cross at that time was collecting linen, sheets, towels, to send to France for uh, the people of France and for soldiers. Wow. They didn't, didn't have enough. So the people in Highland Park, that's like living in Newark, Delaware. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the people in Highland Park could bring the, their donations to my grandfather's drugstore, and then he would collect them and he would drive them over to New Brunswick, to the Red Cross um, room where they were collecting everything. So I just love that little tidbit. Um, yeah. My family were very patriotic souls as well. Yeah. <laughs> you talked about when you were researching the history of the Spanish flu, um, like the little anecdotal uh, details. Was there any other uh, details that stuck out to you in your research? Well, about Spanish flu, um, well, one of the things that struck me was how quickly you could, uh, how quickly Spanish flu struck it. Uh, COVID mm. seems to take a little while, mm-hmm. but uh, the incubation period is a little shorter on Spanish, on Spanish influenza. But once you came down with it, mm-hmm. you could be seriously ill. You could feel like you had a headache or like a little off at breakfast. And by dinner time, you would be desperately ill and you would wow. be gone by the next day. Wow, that fast. It was very fast. The other thing that really struck me was the enormity of the pandemic. Mm. Uh, it's still much larger than what we're experiencing today. And today with COVID, this is terrible. Right. Uh, uh, Spanish influenza was a lot worse. Wow. And, um, we, depending on who you talk to, Spanish influenza is kind of goes from 1918 
and kind of lingers into 1920. But mm -hmm. if you look at uh, Spanish influenza really hit uh, the United States in September of 1918. Mm. And if you take it through the flu season of 1919, and you take it all the way to June, mm -hmm. in 10 months, 675,000 people died in the United States. Wow. Um, influenza. And this other number is so staggering. It, are you just, can't, I cannot process it. But there are estimates worldwide, anywhere from 20, more like 50, to a hundred million people. Wow. Wow. But it's an estimate because mm -hmm. they didn't have good records. Right. Yeah. For a variety of reasons. Um, one, uh, many people died from pneumonia related mm -hmm. to influenza. And um, influenza at that time was not a reportable illness. Um. So, because il influenza was just the flu. Right. Well, you know, and so, um, they weren't reporting it. That changed dramatically in like weeks. They started reporting influenza. Mm -hmm. But doctors and nurses, the, they were so overwhelmed, they couldn't keep up with the paperwork. Wow. And in some parts of the world, they just didn't have the paperwork. So when we say, say 50 million people died, it's an estimate, but mm -hmm. it's still a staggering number. It is. Um, one way to think about it is more people die from Spanish influenza then died from all soldiers, all countries, World War I, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. If you take that number together of those four wars, more, more people died of influenza. Wow, that's, that's when, you, when you look at it in that, that way, it's, like you said, it's staggering. It's just a staggering number. And I have, and I, I, I think you'll appreciate this because you're a social studies person. Mm -hmm. The other piece of information I discovered was that uh, the flu lingered into 1919, and um, President Wilson mm -hmm. came down with influenza while he was negotiating the Paris uh, with the Britain and France in the Paris peace talks in 1919. Oh, wow. And he was unable to participate. He was desperately ill. Wow. And some of the staff were ill. And, it made, and you know, the Treaty of Versailles is mm -hmm. kind of notorious for setting up World War II. Exactly, yes. And so you wonder, if Wilson had been a healthy man, mm -hmm. would that treaty have been different? Yeah. Because he, he was sort of a moderating influence, the French and the British. Mm -hmm. We love them. But they really kind of wanted to stick it to Germany. And, mm -hmm. um, and certainly you can understand why. Right. So, but it makes you wonder. And, and it makes you wonder and you hope that people are not, important people are not getting uh, COVID because. Right. What, I mean, what, how it could affect history. Yeah. I mean, that, that definitely had an effect on history. Like you said, you know, that, that, that peace treaty basically mm -hmm. is what caused world war ii mm -hmm. so yeah if he was you know if he was not sick maybe world war ii could have been uh, avoided do you see any other similarities between the current COVID and well this, mm -hmm. this will yes i do in fact at times the teacher in me has wanted to make a gigantic venn diagram <laughs> on the wall and just list all those things and, and but the the middle part of that diagram would have been pretty big. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm going to, I'll cherry pick some examples. Um, in in 1918, just like today, it was a novel virus. Mm -hmm. We have no immunity for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that presents um, problems. We're, we're going to catch it fast. And we have no vaccine. Mm -hmm. And there was no vaccine in 1918. Mm -hmm. Although they did try to develop some therapeutic things, um, uh, like uh, similar to using blood plasma today, mm -hmm. or come up with some sort of a vaccine. But the problem at the time in 1918 is they, um, they really didn't know what a virus was. Mm. You're, you're not going to be able to even see a virus in a microscope until the 1930s. Oh, yeah. So uh, they tried. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they thought it was a certain uh, 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 bacteria, but that wasn't the case. Mm. Although they did know in 1918 that what they, they knew there was some something that was too small to be filtered out like untypical bacteria so right. they called it unfilterable but they they really didn't know and uh although the best minds of the day were busy working on cures and mm -hmm. trying this and trying that but also except for ventilators and uh, antibiotics today mm -hmm. antibiotics would help if you came down with a, a, a pneumonia afterwards they're not going to help you with any flu or COVID virus but right. um, we, we kind of are still limited in, in what what we have to fight the virus the other thing that's very similar is there was social distancing to a point people were wearing masks mm -hmm. but they made those masks out of mm -hmm. cheesecloth I don't I don't know if Cheesecloth is a very uh, wide open weave, and I guess if you fold it over and over, but that virus was was just going to go right through that cheesecloth. So masks were not yeah. really all that helpful back then, but social mm -hmm. distancing. My my mother and my grand, uh, aunt Juanita, they couldn't go anywhere. Thing, uh, wearing masks and with hot heavy water. Person health authorities, like, you know, encouraged moderate exercise and fresh air, eat right, keep your resistance up. Um, and schools were closed, right. and restaurants were closed, like they are today. Um, and today, a part of the in the early part of the COVID uh, pandemic, we wanted to make sure we didn't overwhelm our medical facilities. And that did happen in 1980. Mm -hmm. The hospitals couldn't take more people. Um, they, they did open up ancillary hospitals, um, much like they did in New York mm -hmm. City. They, they turned the Javits Convention Center into a hospital-type facility. Yes. They started doing that mm -hmm. uh, as well. So uh, sort of some similarities and differences. So where can guests go to, to purchase your book? Well, uh, the book is available on Amazon. If you go to Amazon and you plug in Pharmacy Girl, you'll find the book pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's available as a paperback and uh, uh, an ebook. Okay, yeah. We'll put a link to it in the, um, in the show notes as well as on the, uh, on the website. Thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show today. Learned a lot, well, about, uh, a lot about history. Well, I hope I didn't bore you. I can get carried away with this. No, I thought it was fascinating, especially to hear about some of the um, the similarities between 
the Spanish influenza and, and COVID. And I think knowing that my parent, my mother and my father did uh, live through this as well, that they survived helps me kind of take all of this in stride, even though it's a long time yeah. um, staying home. I think, mm -hmm. I think it's helped me a lot. And all those cookbooks I got from 1918, I've been making cookies and cakes from mm -hmm. those cookbooks. Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. I'm looking forward to tuning in. Oh, great. Yes. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for listening to today's show. Please make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. And remember, everyone has a story.